Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows on respectliferadio.com. Our special guest today is Katie Faust. She's the founder of Them Before Us, a contributor for The Federalist, and I like your uh, handle on Twitter. Children have a right to life and a right to their mother and father. Adults, order your lives accordingly. Exactly, and that really sort of encapsulates the whole point of them before us. The idea is them, the children, before us, the adults. Right? Children have very specific rights when it comes to their life and their right to be known and loved by the two people responsible for their existence. The only way to respect those rights is for adults to conform their lives to the rights of children. And what we're seeing in pretty much every area of American life, whether it's in the abortion debate or issues of divorce or issues of reproductive technologies um, or cohabitation, is the adults saying, no, um, this is what I want. And this is how, you know, this is how I'm going to order my family, regardless of whether or not it respects children's rights. Well, and in the end, it, children are almost a commodity anymore, right? I'll, I'll get what I want. And, oh, by the way, they're so resilient that, you know, I can do whatever and they'll just be fine is kind of the theory. Totally. Well, and, you know, we've always had. So what we do specifically at Them Before Us is we defend children's rights to be known and loved by their mother and father. And this has. There's no other organization that is solely devoted to protecting those fundamental rights on this side of the womb. And while we have always had throughout history kids who have lost the relationship with their mother and father due to tragedy, we are now in this new epoch of existence that says that losing a mother and father is good. And now our laws are normalizing, endorsing, and incentivizing mothers and motherlessness and fatherlessness in the name of progress. And so, yes, when you get to that point where you are disregarding uh, a child's right to their mother and father, they are commodities. They belong to whoever the government says they belong to at that point. Right. And adults are interchangeable. It really doesn't matter. Two moms, two dads, one mom, one dad. Kids, kids will get when they want when in reality, you know, when you look scripturally, but even just in common sense, we all know that mom and, and dad provide two totally different things and the kids need both. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's like you have got to put on a pretty thick lens of political correctness to deny that. It's so obvious from your own personal experience, from looking at the experience of friends. And if you want to if you want to even, you know, pull back the first layer of social science, it is going to stare you in the face. Mothers and fathers are different. They offer distinct and complementary benefits to children. When one or both is missing, children suffer. There's just no statistical way around that. No, I mean, that's why we were designed, and it, it makes it makes zero sense. The argument makes zero sense because, you know, we've watered down the definition of love, and, you know, love is, you know, to will the good of the other. It's about someone else. It's not about me reaping things. It's about what I can give. That's how Christ lived. Totally, yeah, and you mentioned the article as a Federalist, and um, I think that, unfortunately, there's even Christians that are getting this wrong, that they think that love means permissiveness, you know, that, that if God loves me, he's going to approve of everything that I think and say and do and want. And we find a very different definition of love, especially God's love for us in Scripture, um, and that is that God loves us enough to accept us as we are, but he also loves us enough to not leave us as he has found us. 
Well, yeah. I mean, he wants us to be with him, and he gives us. Everybody says, you know, you know, Catholic Church gets a lot of guff. You're nothing but a set of rules. But in the end, it's just, hey, if you live this way, you can be with me for eternity. Now, you don't have to, but if you do, and you cherish marriage and family, and you embrace these these concepts, these these realities, then you know your life is just going to be. You'll find that happiness and joy you're looking for. Yes, exactly. And, you know, God accepts us with open arms. And then he gives us a prescription right. for how to live that results in health and wholeness for everybody involved. In fact, that's actually one way that you can spot something that's sinful um, is it, re- it results in pain and brokenness. Right. So in the article you referred to at the Federalist um, that I wrote last week, yeah, like these churches that are endorsing gay marriage, what they're really doing is they're endorsing fatherlessness or motherlessness. And God's commandments and God's design never results in somebody has to lose something that they are made for, um, especially children, right? The whole Old Testament talks about defending the fatherless. Jesus places a huge priority on, not, on making sure that none of these little ones are going to stumble. God help you if you are forcing them to stumble in the name of Christ. Yeah, I mean, to basically lie, to change the truth, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they think people are going to buy it. So the article's title is What's Incredibly Damaging to the Gospel? Joshua Harris, are you are your lies about it? And basically, Joshua Harris is a pastor who had written a book in the 90s, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. So all of a sudden, he goes from defending marriage between a man and a woman to he does a 180 degree turn and not only does he change his thinking he divorces his wife and basically does to the kids what you were just talking about right denying them yeah. the right to be able to live with their biological mom and dad yeah and that is actually the hallmark of every manifestation of the sexual revolution is it always makes kids pay the price for adult decisions right and so at them before us what we do is we start with the rights of children and we work our way outwards, right? We don't tackle the issue of surrogacy and the issue of divorce and the definition of marriage and how adoption should be done. You know, we don't look at those as isolated issues. We start with the rights of children to be known and loved by their mother and father. And then we work our way outwards, right? And so when you do that, you come to discover that, oh, well, the reason that marriage, traditional marriage matters is because it's the only relationship that unites the two people to whom children have a natural right for life. Oh, the reason why we oppose sperm and egg donation is because it intentionally separates a child from their mother or father. Oh, well, the reason why we oppose two women, you know, being listed as mothers on a child's birth certificate is it legally erases the child's father, someone they have a natural right to. And so we don't have to play whack-a-mole, you know, with all of these different issues that are that are constantly, you know, hitting the, the news cycle. I mean, good heavens, the New York Times is just outdoing itself with praise for consensual non-monogamy and polyamorous relationships. I mean, like, any time there is a new push for, you know, some kind of progressive form of family, the answer is going to be found in defending the rights of children. Well, you know, you do it in the way that that really brings common sense and logic into the equation and pulls out the emotional piece because you start with uh, a concrete premise 
and you kind of work your way to show why this makes the perfect amount of sense. And I think one thing I'd like to cover real quick, though, is, you know, you are really the perfect person to be talking about this because of how you were raised. You were raised in a divorced household. Your mom ended up in a same-sex relationship. So if anybody could speak to this from a reality point of view, it's you. Yeah, and the reality is I needed my mom and dad. Right. Thank God that that both of them knew that, and I remained close and connected to both of them before and after the divorce. The other reality is uh, none of this has to do with animus or hatred or homophobia. It 100% has to do with Children experience loss when they're separated from their mom or dad. And, you know, when you look at the staff members and the followers that make up them before us, you've got kids created through reproductive technologies who lost their father to sperm donation or were created through surrogacy. Yep. Um, you've got kids of divorce or kids of abandonment or kids with LGBT parents. Um, and, you know, you talk about taking the emotion out of it. And I would actually say this is an emotional issue. Because you are, you are really talking about the bare bones meaning of what it, what it is to be human, especially what it is to be a human child. And the other side has done such a good job of identifying the adults as the people that deserve our emotional empathy, right? The, the, struggling, heteros- the struggling heterosexual infertile couple that really needs an egg donor to get pregnant. Or, you know, the person with same-sex attraction that's looking down their future wondering how they're going to have kids. Or, you know, the, the married couple whose marriage is really, really struggling and they just think, oh, it'd be so much easier if I got a divorce. I mean, and in my, in my other life, I'm a pastor's wife. And I, I walk through all of these things with adults and it's so hard. Like, struggling with gender dysphoria is hard. Working through a difficult marriage is hard. Being a 42-year-old single woman who desperately wants to be a mom is hard. This is some of the hardest things that adults face. But well, we are fools if we think that they are the victims well, when and it in, comes to marriage and family yeah. battles. The children are the victims. Well, and in the end, children are a gift. They're not a right. Yes. And so yes. when we view them as the gift, our whole perception should change because how would we trade? How do we treat a gift? I mean, if we viewed it as the Lord coming down and handing us this child and saying, "Look, I'm giving this child to you for you to raise, to come to know me, so he can be with or she be with me for all eternity. I want you to raise her so that she has the fullness of this life." You wouldn't do these other things. You'd be thinking, all right, I need to do what's best for this child, not, "Hey, this right. is what makes me feel good at the time or what I think I need." Yeah. Well, and the truth is that no matter how you come to this parenting journey, it's costly. It's hard. It's going to demand, doing it right demands that adults are going to sacrifice and accommodate so kids are going to have what they need. And we just need to make sure that that is also uh, what connects all of these different issues related to family structure as well, is that children have rights and and adults had better be the ones that are sacrificing so children don't have to. Well, and in the end, what what in life is worthwhile that isn't hard? You know, if you bust Absolutely. your backside in an education, whether you're doing it in sports, whether you're doing it in your marriage, that's what reaps the fruit, right? You don't you don't appreciate it unless you have that cross or that challenge that you have to embrace that you overcome and realize, wow, I'm so much better for having done this. Yeah. You know, maturity in general is taking responsibility for yourself. Yeah. Christian maturity is taking responsibility for others, especially the most vulnerable, and kids are at the top of that list. 
So I, you know, and I've read the book Truth Overruled, and I know you know you were you were uh, in the back part when we're talking about victims, uh, and you, I think you even testified to the Supreme Court before the ridiculous ruling came down. Um, you know, how important is it for people to educate themselves on? putting children first and understanding what children need so that it could be more voices out there articulating the truth. So there's two reasons why I think it's important for uh, Christians to be razor sharp on this issue. Uh, the first one is, and, and I'm talking, you know, for Christians here, right. um, I don't necessarily think that marriage um, and adoption and surrogacy are the central aspects, you know, the core orthodoxies that make the children, that, that make the Christian faith the Christian faith. But what I've noticed is nobody even wants to hear about whether Jesus was the Son of God unless you can give them a credible, compelling, secular answer to, is God a bigot for opposing gay marriage? Like, you <laughs> have, this is the, this is the grid that people are looking through, and you have to kind of lift the grid that, that, you know, that tells them that this is hateful. You need to have some kind of compelling answer to your support for traditional marriage because that's, that's what they want to know before they'll even listen to your, you know, your spiel about going to heaven. So that's number one yep. is this is, a, this is the place where the Christian worldview is crashing on the shores of culture and you need to know how to respond. Number two, where we are headed right now legally Right. In the wake of Obergefell, the, the right. Supreme Court decision right. that legalized gay marriage for the whole country is it is now unconstitutional to say that children should have a mother and father. Right. We had um, a new Uniform Parentage Act passed in Washington state last year that said, you know what, we really can't even use gendered language in parenting laws anymore. And we really can't make biology the basis of parenting because that's bigoted. Right. It's <laughs> same-sex couples are going to have that full constellation of benefits that was promised to them, you know, then we have to remove biology and gender from the formula that determines parenthood. Now, when you do that, it's just like what you said. That literally makes children commodities that can be bought and sold, cut and pasted, swapped and traded, and awarded to whatever adults have the money and means to acquire them. Now, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think we fought a civil war to end the commodification of people. And now we're bringing it all back in the name of progress. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and you talked about it earlier. Look, people that suffer with same sex attraction or whatever, whatever's going on, even people who make poor decisions on their marriage. Right. They have a dignity. We need to respect them. We need to love them. But love is sharing the truth, right? We hear Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Watering down or eliminating the truth just because we want to make people feel better basically proves we don't love them because we don't have the courage to share the truth like you do. And one of the things I'd like to encourage listeners to do, and we talked about this before we went on air, is you were in Australia about four years ago. And, I mean, good grief, you were hit from everything from soup to nuts, like it was sledgehammers, on you know, trying to paint you as the bad guy when in reality, if you listen to the responses of the people on the panel and everything, uh, they really didn't make sense. They did. I mean, logically, it didn't make sense. And, you know, you're right. In in the end, we don't care about kids. Yeah. And, you know, typically that's what the other side has. Right. They don't have good arguments, but darn it, they can denigrate your character. Right. And, yep. and that really was 
where I felt like the dam broke in 2012 after Obama evolved on the subject of marriage. That's when it went from being, look, honest people can disagree on this subject to, hey, you're all bigots. Right. That's really what I felt like was kind of the tipping point for this. And I think that the other side has just decided to ride that train all the way to the politically correct station. You know, like they don't engage in honest discussions. They aren't willing to look at the data. Um, they will just demonize you and um, denigrate you instead. So, yeah. And I will say something to your listeners. Um, standing up for these kinds of things is hard. You know, it will cost you friends. Yep. Um, but there are things that are worth it, you know, and you do need to go about it in the right way. You do need to have, you need to be winsome, but you need to be unmoving, right? If we cannot defend children's fundamental rights to be known and loved by their mother and father, you know, we're supposed to be defending the fatherless, not creating the fatherless. But that is the direction that culture is going and that is the direction that our laws are going. So it really is time to stand up and fight regardless of the cost. Right, we're supposed to defend widows and orphans, which basically means those that can't defend themselves. But if you think about it, I mean, if a child's even lucky enough to be born, right, because of the assault of children in wombs, I mean, in the end, it becomes a woman's right or a parent, you know, a parent's right to decide whether a child lives or dies. And then if that's your mindset, then even after they're born, then you get to decide everything for them, not in their best interest, but, you know, what's convenient for you. And I think that you're right to kind of bring this back to a child's right to life um, for several reasons. Number one, that's the primary right. That's the primary right that all of us have, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Life is first. And I actually think that we, when you're talking about marriage and family, we have a lot to learn from the pro-life debate and from people who are fighting against abortion. And that is that they focus uncompromisingly on the rights of the child to be alive. And they can empathize and they can sympathize with women who are caught in unplanned pregnancies. And we must sympathize. And Absolutely. We must support them. But in no way should any adult struggle or hardship um, be... The answer to none of that should be, okay, let's make a child sacrifice just because you're feeling stressed or you have a longing for a child or you have a longing to not have this child. Children are not objects that are created to satisfy the desires of adults. They are the most vulnerable people that deserve every adult's defense and protection. And so when we when we take those lessons from the pro-life debate and apply them to the marriage and family debate, that is also the way to win. You know, when you say children have a right to life and a right to their mother and father, mm -hmm. and then you defend that no matter what adult group it offends, whether it's the infertile heterosexual Christian couples that want to use a sperm donor or the gay couple that wants to procure a child through surrogacy um, or the single mom who wants to use a sperm donor or the adults who are in a difficult marriage and want a no-fault unilateral divorce. I mean, when you stand uncompromisingly on those fundamental rights of the child to be known and loved by their mother and father, what happens is you develop this amazing coalition. And that's what we've got at them before us. We've got gay and straight, single and married uh, advocates for children. Um, we've got Muslims and Catholics and evangelicals and Mormons and totally secular followers because like when you can distill it down to the bare bones fundamental rights there's a lot more commonalities than differences 
Well, and I've been on the website. It's a great website. It really is uh, has a lot of information on there and a lot of things that can help arm people. And it, and it's thembeforeus.com. Is that correct? That's it. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, we hear all these arguments. We hear people say all this stuff. It's like they forget that they used to be kids at one point. Right. If, if people treated them that way, they would have a fit. Absolutely. And I tell people, you know, they're like, well, how do you know that children have this right? And I'm like, well, number one, it's outlined in the most widely ratified treaty on the globe, the U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child. But also, tell me about your life. Did you have a loving, continuous relationship with your mother and father? If so, which one of those parents was optional to you? Which one could you have simply cut out of your life and had it make no difference in your development or your identity? The answer is neither. You need to both. Now, if you're one of the 50% of like millennials and Gen Z who are growing up without their mother and father, at least without them in the same home, raising them together, did you love that? Did you just love that you only saw your dads on the, you know, every other weekend? Did you just love that your mom took off with some guy that she fell in love with and moved to another state? How'd that go for you? Would you recommend it? Would you endorse it? Would you incentivize it into law? Would you say this should be the norm for all children? No. The reality is that was probably one of the hardest things that you have ever gone through. And my guess is it's still painful for you to think about right now. Well, and, and in so the end, everybody I, yeah. gets this, you know, from their own personal experience. I think everybody gets this. Well, you know, I was I, I mentioned again before we were on air that uh, we have an interview that's going to be coming up with Layla Miller on her book, Primal Loss and just some other things. And, you know, I was watching videos for that for people that grew up, you know, adult children of divorce. And yes. people were, you know, you'd watch the videos and they start off the video. You know what? I've come to terms with this. You know, they, they start talking like, you know, they get it. They're fine. Halfway through the video, they're bawling because totally. they really aren't OK because the ripple effect continues. Absolutely. You know, people <laughs> don't get me started on divorce. Also, Layla <laughs> Miller is uh, a champion. Everybody should go get her book, Primal Loss. It's so good. She's been able to do what few others have do, which is really highlight the long-term cost of divorce for children. And you know what fascinates me? You know, we have three different categories of stories on our website because we have a story bank because we, we really recognize that the only way that hearts and minds are going to change is if people have to look in the face of the kids who have to live with all of these supposed progressive decisions. So primal loss is a great one for that. But what amazes me is among the donor-conceived kids, which is one group on our website, yeah. the kids with LGBT parents, which is another group, and then the kids of divorce, which is the third group. Even the kids of divorce will not share under their real name. Even the kids of divorce will either use a pseudonym or just their first name because even though they're 45 years old or 55 years old, they are still trying to keep both their parents happy on Christmas. Yeah, I mean, they are still doing the dance right, of pleasing their parents and trying to keep the family together or keep their parents happy or not, you know, upset the cart with their feelings of loss and sadness. I mean, this is not, you know, I've heard people say, well, divorce is like a bad cold. Kids will get over it. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, they won't. It is the first of continuous and lifelong loss and transition for children. It's just, it's just kicking it all off. 
Yeah, and, and you know you can go through study after study. We also did a show that's uh, going to air pretty soon with uh, Brad Wilcox on oh, uh, awesome. you know the the importance of family and and I know he's he's also in Truth Overruled as you are and you know the it, look this isn't for every case but don't we want the ideal situation for children but when they're not in the ideal situation you know uh, poverty comes into the equation uh, criminal records come into the equation. Uh, pregnancy outside of marriage. I mean, all these things grow exponentially when mom and pop aren't there. Absolutely. And I, when I talk with my left-leaning friends, I give them a list. I'm like, let me just run down a few of the major social ills that we're facing today. Homelessness, suicide, uh, high incarceration rates, poverty, obesity, failing academic scores, behavioral issues. I mean, like, which one of those, if you could just solve one of them, what would it be? And, you know, then ensues a conversation about the things they're really passionate about. But boy, it's hard to choose because they're really concerned about, you know, the rise in suicide, but oh my gosh, the homelessness academic. And I say, what if there was an all of the above option? What if you could do one thing and wipe out everything that I just So you just lay a trap for them and then they step into it, huh? Yeah, right. (laughs) And I say, you know what? If you made sure that every child had their mom and dad living together in the same home for life, you would decimate. And I really do mean decimate, like take down to one tenth. Yeah. You know, every one of those issues that I just mentioned. And if you don't defend children's rights to be known and loved and raised by their mother and father whenever possible, you can spend as much money as you want on anti-poverty programs and trying to fix homelessness and you won't get anywhere. Right. Unless you first defend children's fundamental rights in the smallest unit of society, all of society is going to suffer. Well, yeah, to think to think the government is going to fix those things. They, they can't run a post office without losing billions of dollars, but somehow they're going to cure all the world's ills. No, but they're the one attacking the family. And so I can't believe it. We're down to about the last 40 seconds or so. How can people follow what you're doing and, and really gain the knowledge they need to be articulate like you are? Um, well, there's, <laughs> I was not articulate, right? I figured this out as I went too, because nobody's going to do this for you. Media is not going to do it for you. Government's not going to do it for you. Unfortunately, a lot of churches are not going to do it for you. It is up to you to figure out how to advocate for the rights of kids. But if you come to them for us.com, go to the bottom of our page, subscribe, you'll get our newsletter. We've got a very active Facebook page. We're on Twitter. We've got some Instagram happening. Um, look for them before us and, and join us, you know, get involved because um, it really does need to be a global movement of all adults. Well, thank you, Katie. I really appreciate your time and your passion and your, and willing to share the truth.